notes yesterday, Bishop Waldo was with the people of Episcopal Church of Our Savior in Rock Hill. As he's done these past few months, he recorded his sermon and shared that with the priest to include with their worship. But then the protests over police brutality and violence happened on Saturday. So Bishop Waldo, instead of the recorded sermon, went live with our Savior and shared his thoughts on the gospel and how it relates to our world today. I hope you enjoy this edition of Make, Equip, and Send, the stories that shape EDUSC. Come, Holy Spirit, overwhelm us and transform us with the power of your loving, merciful, and just Holy Spirit. Well, I think I'm the the B section of the plan this morning in that I had uh, recorded a sermon and, and Ann Walton very graciously had it all ready to show you this morning, but um, events during this week as, as we have watched them transpire across the nation really uh, called me to say something different today than what I had planned to say. I, I want to start by saying that that we have all been affected and filled with a variety of emotions as we've watched the videos of George Floyd's murder, as we have watched riots, some with many peaceful folks. I understand that the gatherings in Rock Hill were very peaceful and proactive. In Columbia, we've had a mixture of very peaceful gathered people and also some who have um, chosen to damage and hurt. But we've had this range of feelings of, of rage, of, of, of hope, of dismay, of despair, and of wonder how God is going to call us to respond and who God is calling us to be in this moment. It's been especially poignant for me, I guess is the word. Um, my own family history, like many Southerners, and like many white Southerners, is filled with characters who were who served in the Civil War, who owned slaves, or who better enslaved other human beings. And I grew up in Montgomery, Alabama, having moved there in 1961 when I was only eight year olds, making me a kind of second row, uh, having a second row seat to some really dramatic events around civil rights and of course attending segregated schools until uh, I was in the seventh grade. All of this and trying to come to terms with my own history of privilege and racism 
Three years ago, I joined the presiding bishop and a number of my other bishop colleagues on a pilgrimage to Ghana, where we began our journey by going into the countryside, the northern part of Ghana, where we visit a, a place that had been a holding camp where local tribal chieftains had taken captured enemies and others whom they wanted to sell to the white slave traders, from which they would march them to the castles on the coast where they'd be held for enough time to be completely destroyed in spirit and then loaded onto slave ships, either to the Caribbean sugar plantations or to this part of the world. At one point in Accra, in the slave castle, we gathered in a small, very dark room at the base of the castle. It had a door that opened onto the beach a door that was made of thick iron bars. It was called the door of no return. Gathering in that place with our African-American presiding bishop, with arms held around each other, holding hands, and to hear the prayer of a man whose own family had been enslaved in this country. It's of course something one never forgets. It reminded me of, of several moments of hope and despair as a child, or at least as a youth, Shortly after desegregation in Montgomery, I was a volunteer at the Head Start program in Montgomery, which was, of course, brand new in 1967. It was halfway between Montgomery and Selma, and there was a young boy there named Ricky, who was one of the liveliest, most joyful children I think I'd ever met full of curiosity, that joy and wonder in all of God's creation that we all pray for and hope for in ourselves. And one day, the professional staff person said, Andrew, I want you to come with me on a home visit to Ricky's home. So we drove off into the country down near the bottomlands of the Alabama River and pulled up to a house that had to have been built at the turn of that century. That was a home for two families, each of which had one room in front, a small kitchen and another small room out back. There was only a bed and a single chair in the front room. And we met standing while Ricky's mother who was obviously so emaciated with hunger that she had no strength, that the flies crawled on her eyelids and she didn't even have the strength to brush them off. 
My only consolation after being in the presence of such degrading poverty was to have a sense that Ricky, through Head Start, had a chance that he might have a different life than his mother and father had had. Of course, I have no idea what happened to Ricky. The odds would have been against him his entire life. And he may himself have found himself in a police chokehold in prison, no job, having to do whatever he could for more food, for a chance at some kind of a life. That memory has always made me so deeply aware of the privilege that I have had of generations of college-educated ancestors, of family members who were able to live jobs where they could build up at least something of a nest egg to take care of themselves in their old age, who had family members who, could, who were present, who could surround them, And yet I think of Ricky, I think of George Floyd, Ahmaud Arbery, and Breonna Taylor, whose lives were assumed by others to have been worth less. And I feel rage. And yet I also sense the hope behind some of that rage to make things different. You know, 2,000 years ago, disciples from all nations, languages, peoples, all colors, gathered after Jesus had ascended into heaven and a violent wind surrounded them. Tongues as of fire descended on them, blessing them, calling them, sending them to go out into a world broken by all the things that we're seeing happen around us today and to be witnesses of a different kind to people who so know, came to know the love and mercy and justice of God within themselves, that they could look in the mirror and go out into the world willing to risk virtually anything for the sake of that love, for the sake of the forgiveness that they had received, regardless of what they had done up to that point. As I look at what goes on around us today, I am grateful for all of you, 
for your witness to God's love in the community you serve, for the hope that you can bring to those who have no hope. And for the recognition that we have this hope, we have this confidence shared with Christians the world around, with Muslims, with Jews, with all people of goodwill who want to see a world in which all of us receive a fair hand, in which all of us can look in the mirror and know ourselves to be a beloved child of God. May the Lord bless you and keep you and love you as you go out into the world this day. Amen.